0: The following content is from Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a gospel-driven high-adventure camp in western North Carolina. Go to SWOutfitters.com to learn more about our camps and conferences. Enjoy the message. Hey man, what's up everybody? Y'all doing good? Good. Hey, uh, glad you guys are here. Man, that's a cool weekend. Like John said, we we haven't had students here for a while, so it's like, yes, this feels right. I, I stood up here... The other day, I was praying for you guys and kind of praying for tonight, and I was just standing here looking at all these empty chairs, like, man, what a bummer. But now all you guys are here, so this is great. Hey, uh, so if you got a Bible, let's go to Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, don't sweat it, it'll be on the board. So uh, hopefully, you guys know this weekend we're going to be talking about sexual purity. We're going to be talking about relationships. And really, we're going to focus on the fact that we, if you're a Christian, you are pure and holy in Christ. And, but, man, sexual purity and sexual messages, man, it's such an important thing for teenagers to talk about. I got, I got two teenagers. Uh, my, two of my daughters are in here right now with their youth group. I got, a, I got a 13-year-old girl and a 14-year-old girl. And my 14-year-old girl was sick recently, and so we started watching just a billion YouTube videos. And so we started watching one on pranks, just like high school pranks and stuff. And they're, to be honest, they're pretty lame. Uh, it was like guys driving dirt bikes through their high school, which that was pretty cool. But uh, it, one of the best, it kind of reminded me about one of the best pranks. It was kind of subtle. But my dad, who's not really like a jokester, he, uh, he pulled a really good prank in high school. So he got together with a bunch of his friends, and they came up with this great plan, and they targeted another one of their friends. And the plan was basically the guy walked in the school and one of the guys was like i mean he was fine he, he was guy walked in school normal day normal guy feeling great whatever but the first guy comes up to me and it's like oh man you're right you feeling all right you look rough and the guy's kind of like oh whatever and well they conspired with all their friends so everybody that saw him was like oh dude you going home or what like you look bad and the guy's like really and i mean guy after guy after guy kept being like hey, oh my gosh, you look terrible, to where before lunch he was gone. Like he called his mom like, I think I'm sick. Like he was totally, pers- so if you're ever thinking about like a mind game trick, don't do it. But if you're ever thinking about it, it's a good it's a good prank. And like if just one guy would have said it, it probably wouldn't have been a big deal. Like, oh, you look terrible. He'd been like, whatever. But just the volume, you just that many messages saying the same thing, you kind of start to feel that way like maybe i am sick maybe i don't feel good what i want to talk to you all about like here's my concern y'all are hearing really two different messages about sex and you're hearing it a lot and one you're hearing from the church And a very different one you're hearing from the rest of the world. And the one you're hearing from the rest of the world, you're hearing also from friends, you're hearing from music, you're hearing from ads, you're hearing from movies. And it's pouring in so fast, there's so many messages that it's easy to start to feel kind of the way the world feels about sex and relationships and dating and marriage. and I I know, if, if we're honest, some of us would say, okay... Everything fun in my world is saying enjoy sex right now, but within the four walls of the church, it's all don't. It's wrong. And to be honest, that seems lame. It seems less fun. The question is, why is it bad to sleep with somebody you really love? Heck, why is it bad to sleep with somebody you don't really love? I mean, it's just bodies. It's just sex, right? Why is it unwise to to be physical with your boyfriend in ninth grade? Like, why is it no, 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 no with the church? And yes, 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 with every place else in life. Like, And some people even say, like, I know plenty of other people that are having sex, and they're doing fine. I know plenty of older, grown Christian folks that slept around their younger years, and they're doing fine. I mean, I do want to live for Jesus, but I also want to have fun and... I think so many teenagers have kind of framed the whole sexual purity topic wrong. Because to be real, man, some of you guys are too young to see the pain that misuse sexuality can bring. For real. Now some of y'all have seen that. Some of y'all have experienced that and know this pain. But for real, for some of y'all, especially those of you that haven't had sex yet, it seems like everybody on earth is praising it. Every song is like, this is awesome. But then the church is saying, but you can't have it yet. It's really awesome, but not you can't experience that yet. And if you're a Christian, you can experience it later with just one person ever for the rest of your life. And to be honest, for some of us, it feels like, is that it? What I want to do, I want to I pause. And I want to just zoom out and reframe the way we think about relationships and sexuality and sex to begin with. So zoom way out. And just think about why are you even here? Like, why did God make you? But think about that. You get, you get one shot at life, right? You get one go around. You get one shot at middle school. <laughs> Many of y'all are done with that now. You get one shot at high school. You get one shot at college. You get one shot at your 40s. This, this is it. So how do you maximize it? How do you make the most? How do you live the best possible, most fulfilled life? So in the book of Ecclesiastes, you don't have to turn there. We'll have it on the board. In the book of Ecclesiastes, this guy Solomon went to figure it out. Most of y'all are church kids and you know about Solomon, right? Solomon, just to give you some frame of reference, he was literally the richest man on the planet at the time. In fact, if you, I mean, even if you look up like History Channel documentaries about him, he, I mean, maybe in history, he is the richest man, literally had no money boundaries. Like anything he wanted to buy, he could buy it. He could buy nations, like no money boundaries at all. He also was the most powerful man on earth. Like no nation could come against him. Nothing was out of bounds for him, right? And so Solomon went on a quest, and his quest was, what's the best way to live? What brings meaning and what's meaningless? So think about it. He's got unlimited resources. Like you couldn't do this. I couldn't do this. Like if I want to go on like a wellness quest or whatever, I could I can afford like some coconut water, but he could afford like a nation. You know what I mean? Like he had unlimited resources. And so he goes through and he tests every area. He's like, all right, is there meaning in work? Is there meaning in wealth? is there meaning in justice is there meaning in power and then one area he looks at is is there meaning in pleasure so i want to read his wild pleasure test all right in ecclesiastes 2 you don't have to turn there it'll be on the board but look at what he does with this unlimited resource all right he says i said in my heart all right now i will test you with pleasure enjoy yourself but behold this was also vanity and i said of laughter this is mad and i said of pleasure what use is this Verse 3, he says, I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart was still guiding me with wisdom. Pause. He's saying, my heart was still guiding me with wisdom. I'm still trying to figure out the best way to live, so I thought maybe wine will do it. So I sought to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guided me with wisdom and how to lay hold on foolishness till I could see what is good for the children of man to do under heaven during their few days of their life. So I made great houses. I made great works. I built houses and I I planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kind of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves. I had slaves who were born in my house. I had great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had ever been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, I got singers, both men and women and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great, greater than all who were before me in in Jerusalem. And also my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes wanted, I didn't keep it from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my work, and this was the reward for all my work. And then I considered, all that my hands had done and the work that I had expended in doing it. And behold, it was vanity. It was meaningless. It was a striving after the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. That's a wild experiment. You might be like, hey, that sounds... Pretty awesome, if I do say so myself. I mean, you think about it. Of course it sounds awesome. He's saying, I got pleasure and wine and laughter and houses and gardens and parks and fruits. And I got swimming pools that go through the forest, which is crazy. I got animals. I got horses. I got gold. I got the king's treasures. I got the best singers in the land to sing for me. I got concubines. That's a complicated word, but it's basically people that are just there for sexual pleasure. He loaded his house with just people for sexual pleasure. And he's saying, all pleasure, whatever I wanted. And he said, I gained nothing. I got nothing out of that. And so maybe I might be like, mm, let me try. Uh, you, may, you Maybe you did that wrong. Let, let, me give it, let me give it a go. But like, we'd be wise to listen. Because listen to his conclusion from his unlimited resource search on what makes somebody happy in life. What makes somebody fulfilled in life? You know what he says at the end of his book? The end of the matter, that he looks and says, Here's what makes you happy and fulfilled in life. Two things fear God and keep his commandments. The second thing is enjoy the pleasures of life. Fear God, keep his commandments, and enjoy the pleasures of life. All right, now pause for a second. Because if you're sharp, you'll notice that he just said all the pleasures of the life are, are meaningless. And now he's saying enjoy the pleasures of life. Here's what he's saying. There is a way to enjoy the pleasures of life, food, work, sex, and other things that is meaningless. And there's a way to enjoy the pleasures of life, food, work, and sex that is meaningful and enjoyable and wonderful. Here's what I'm concerned about with you guys and with with all teenagers right now is that I think so many teenagers are buying into meaningless pleasures because they see the Bible's teaching about sex as just restrictive, as just no, as just rules. We'll come back to that. I wanna wanna go into this verse, that verse I told you to turn to, Colossians 2. We're gonna start in verse six, all right? Colossians 2, verse six. It says, says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just like you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. We're going to come back to that verse. I want to dive into the next verse, verse 8. See to it that nobody takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit that's according to human tradition, that's according to the elemental spirit of the world, but is not according to Christ. All right, there's a warning. And there's a warning for the Colossians, right? And he says, see to it that no one takes you captive. No one that captures you. No one makes you their prey. See to it that nobody captures these Colossians by false teaching, by these philosophies. Here is the means of these false teachers capture. They used philosophy, which is the love of wisdom. We know it's false wisdom. They used empty deceit, just empty tricks. They used human tradition." The traditions of man. Basically, this is what we've always done, so this is what you should do. And then they use the elemental spirits, which that is a weird, weird phrase. But it basically means the principles of this world, like the elements, earth, air, wind, fire, like geometry. Even it talks about kind of like the spirits associated with these. It gets really weird. Because there's a lot of debate on what was the teaching that Paul was combating. I have no idea. Like, we can speculate on it. Like, a lot of commentators think that it was a blend of, like, Jewish teachings. that's like, you gotta keep the man-made tradition of the law, but it was also these pagan teachings that was like, you can talk to God through these mystical spirits or that the spirits, like, themselves were God that you had to live according to the flow of the planets. Basically, these elemental principles of the world. Could it be something like that? I, man, I don't know. The Colossians, they would know. But the bottom line is, this wisdom, whatever it was, it didn't have Jesus as the source of truth. Rather, it relied on human tradition, what we've always done, and elemental principles. This is how the world works. That's what they relied on. This is what we have always done, and this is how the world works, not based on Christ. And I think that the reason Paul worded it like this is because in 2023, right now, like the traditions that we live by and respect are different than what the Colossians live by. And the principles of the world are different than what the Colossians live by. And that's part of the point is that whatever the flavor of the month is, it's going to change. But the focus here isn't on what the false teaching was, but it's on what it wasn't. It wasn't based on Christ. Where am I going with this? All right. What I think, where I think this applies to us is thinking about any wisdom that tricks us based on human tradition and the principles of the earth not based on Christ. What does this have to do with sexual purity? What does this have to do with relationships? Because this verse is 100% not talking about sex. It's 100% not talking about purity. But I think there are lessons about the kinds of thoughts and values we can base our actions on instead of Jesus. So what sort of tricks or false philosophies can we be captive to about sex and relationships that are based on human traditions or earth science that aren't based on Jesus? All right, we're gonna to go to another verse. There's another church that Paul talked, uh, uh, talked to, uh, the Corinthians. So if you've got a Bible, let's go 1 Corinthians 6. Keep your finger in Colossians, we'll be back there. 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 12. Now the Corinthians, you, these guys are crazy. They're crazy. Like these guys were like the live it up party crowd before they came to Jesus. And they had a hard time shaking that stuff when they came to Jesus. Like Paul has to keep saying stuff like, hey, you can't get drunk at church, stop. You can't keep sleeping around with each other, stop. Like they're Christians gone wild and he's trying to like reform them in their thinking because they had even these sayings that are just like, live it up, like this. 1 Corinthians six twelve. he's quoting them and it says, all things are lawful for me. That's one of their sayings. All things are lawful. He's quoting their, uh, their philosophers. So as they overate, they'd be like, hey, Not against the law. Let's go. You know, as they indulge, as they indulge in sex, they'd be like, hey, all things are lawful. And Paul says, yeah, but not all things are helpful for you. I won't be dominated by anything. Yeah, you won't go to jail, but is it helpful? Is it right? Is it controlling you? Are you enslaved to it? Here's another one of their sayings. Verse 13 Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. That was another one of their sayings. And Paul goes on and says, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body isn't meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. All right, go back to the saying from the from the Corinthians. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach's meant for food, they would say as they gorge themselves. Just a common saying, and and on the surface, it makes sense. Like, Food is meant for the stomach. That is the reason food exists because the stomach exists, right? If we didn't have stomach, the world wouldn't be filled with edible things. That just makes sense. And the stomach's meant for food. That's why it's there. Food satisfies it, right? So it makes good sense in the minds of the Corinthians saying food is for the stomach, the stomach's for the food and so I can eat it, whatever. But then God breaks in and is like, and God will destroy both one and the other. Easy. Like, Seems like a bummer. Like, what, what is he saying? He's pointing out that food and the body are just temporary they're just a pointer you think about it why do you have appetites whether it's sexual whether it's physical like food appetites why do we have appetites because God gave them to us for good man food is good fried chicken I love fried chicken my favorite food on the planet I love it's good And there are tons of verses in the Bible that talk about the beauty of food and eating. But y'all know there's abuses of food all around us, right? Some people eat themselves to death. Other people starve themselves to death. That's why we we have to put up guards against this appetite or it'll turn the good gift into a painful indulgence. Does that make sense? God's given us appetites that are good, but we got to put up guards or else it'll turn the good gift into a painful indulgence because food is more than just enjoyment and fuel. It's more than, than just what we do with our bodies. It's a pointer to Jesus. There's all kind of verses about we need to hunger and thirst after righteousness. We need to taste and see that the Lord is good. God gave us food so we can enjoy it for sure, but also so we can understand him better. It's about him. It's from him. It's for him. I think the lesson about the food is There's one kind of eating that, yeah, it's kind of pleasurable, but it'll kill you, and it's harmful, and it's sinful. And then there's another kind of eating that is maximally pleasurable. It'll nourish you, it's delicious, and it glorifies God. So we put a guard against our appetite, not to limit our enjoyment, but to maximize it. Does that make sense? Y'all see where I'm going with this? Great, because this verse points out food is made for the stomach, and the stomach's made for food. But the argument's been used for sex as well. They'd say, you know, the body is built for sex. We're wired for sex. We are sexual beings. And the world is full of other sexual beings who are also wired for sex. So just like the stomach was made for the food and the food was made for the stomach, our bodies were made to enjoy sex with other sexual beings. That's why we're made like that. And we can see this thought today. Y'all see this all the time on movies or in conversations that say, I mean, you can share a sexual act with somebody just for the fun of it. As long as both people agree to it, what's the big deal? It's just bodies. It's just appetites. Like, who is the church to say what we can and can't enjoy with our own bodies? Now, it's not just that simple because God's given us these good appetites. But y'all know these appetites have gone wrong. And the sex appetite has gone way wrong. Think about sex in our culture. I mean, we, we talk about sex a lot because it's so important, but think about how much your culture talks about sex. Just every movie you watch has a sex scene, just about, just about. Almost every, like, almost every movie trailer you watch, there's scenes of action, and then there's a sex scene flash in, right? Almost every ad you see is somebody selling something with a sexual image. Almost every song you listen to has a sexual connotation to it or an overt sexual uh, language and uh, a sexual message. You think about, like, the sexual appetite has gone way, way off the rails. And we're underwater in sexual images, but we don't even notice. Think about this. What if the food instinct went as bad or as wrong as the sex instinct? Think about this. What if if every movie you watched had a scene of fried chicken in it? You'd be like, okay, this is weird. What if every movie trailer you watch, you're like, all right, hold up. I bet it shows fried chicken. Ah, there it is. All right, cover your eyes, guys. (laughs) All right. You know, like, what if every song, every song you listened to had a line about, and the fried chicken, da-da-da-da. you would be like, there it is. We'd be like, y'all weird. Y'all and your fried chicken, y'all are weird. That's messed up. You know what I'm saying? But our culture is that crazy about sex, and for us, we're just like, hmm. We don't notice it because we live in it, right? We're underwater in sexual images. Al Mohler says this, sex is both more and less important than our culture says. It's both more and less important than our culture says. It's less important because human existence is not all about sexual pleasure and sexual display. It's not, it's not the means of liberating the self from cultural exp- uh, oppression. And to be honest, sex doesn't deliver on all of its promises in our culture. So it's less than our culture says. But man, y'all got to know, sex is way more than our culture says. It's way more than bodies. I mean, it is part of the analogy of Christ in the church. That is sacred. That's huge. You know, Christ and the church, God gives us marriage, a man and a woman together in marriage, because they're playing a role, a drama of Christ and the church. And part of that analogy, that drama, is the sexual union of the husband and the wife. That's the most intimate thing. It's part of the creature's purpose to glorify the Creator. Now, in the church, we are often guilty of speaking of sex as dirty. We often think about sex as wrong, but the Bible celebrates sex. And God made it. He came up with the idea. And look just at the scripture. You'll see a very different picture of sex. Read the book of Song of Solomon. It is yo, know, it is graphic. It is graphic. It is love poems that speak freely about the joy of sex. It's wild. But even in that book, there's warnings. There's borders, there's guards where it says things like don't awaken love until it's ready. See, we put up guards against sexual sin because sex is so precious. John Piper says this. You don't put fences around weeds. You put them around gardens. You don't guard something that's trash. You guard something that's precious. Back to the 1 Corinthians verse. Here's the guard, right? Because he said... The body isn't meant for sexual immorality but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. This is the guard. This is the fence that's meant to protect this good gift. It's not meant to restrict us. I mean, just like the appetite for food has abuses that, that have the power to destroy, man, our appetite for sex has abuses that have the power to control us and destroy us. So he says the body isn't meant for sexual immorality. What is that? What is sexual immorality? I think I... A useful definition for us you could say anything that God intends for a man and woman to experience in marriage that they experience outside of marriage whether that's sexual or emotional or physical it's behaving like you're married when you're not so just like you know Solomon said there's one kind of pleasure that's harmful and one kind of pleasure that's good and right just like with food there's one kind of eating that's harmful and one that's good and right it's same thing there's one kind of sex one kind of sexuality that's it's It's kind of pleasurable, but it's out of place and it can be harmful and sinful. And then there's one kind of sex that's maximally pleasurable, that's right and that's in place and is glorifying to God and that's sex within marriage between a man and a woman. He goes on and says, the body is meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. The body, your body, is meant for something bigger than food and sex. It's meant for something more, more meaningful and more satisfying. The body is meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And that's why sex alone will never satisfy you, period. It is a great gift from God, but it is a terrible replacement for God. It's a great gift for God. Your body is meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Man, this is what I really want you to hear, really, that you— man. I'm speaking to the Christians in the room. No doubt there's non-Christians in the room, but I'm speaking to the Christians in the room. Man, you guys, if you're a Christian, you know you were bought by the Lord, by his blood. He loves you. You are precious to him. He loves you so much. And not only that, he's given you gifts in your life and everything in your life, your choices, your food, your drink, your sexuality, they're based on the one fact that you were made by the Lord and you were bought for the Lord. So everything in your life now, whether you eat or you drink, we do it all to the glory of the Lord. It changes everything. So for you, ninth grader, you're not just going to school. You're going to school as one that's been bought by the Lord. You're going to school. You're going to school can glorify the Lord. What I'm saying is, 11th grader, you're not just playing a sport. You're playing a sport as one who has been bought by the Lord, and you're playing that sport can bring glory to him. Every element of your life, your eating, your sleeping, your body, your sexuality was made by God and for God, and it was made for your maximum enjoyment. God gave you all those good gifts so you can enjoy and live life to the fullest. Now, that's not how the culture sees biblical teaching on sex. The culture looks at what we're doing this weekend and says, you know what, that's harmful. That's restrictive. I read an article by this lady. Her name is Linda K. Klein. And in this article, she wrote how she was harmed by the church's teaching about sexual purity. She wrote a book called Pure, Inside the Evangelical Movement that Shamed a Generation of Young Women and How I Broke Free. And in that article, she had a quote. She said, We went to war with ourselves with our own bodies, and with our own sexual natures, all under the strict commandment of the church. Now, I've not read her whole book, uh, so I can't speak to her situation. And, And to be honest, she may have been absolutely shamed for mistakes made in her past. And I'll be real, there's too much of that going on. Because God's grace is stronger than your mistakes. Period. No matter what you've done, that thing, if you're in Christ, that does not define you. Seriously, some of you guys have made mistakes in the past, and you your identity is wrapped up in that thing, and not in the fact that you are made pure and holy by God. You have the purity of Jesus. That is what defines you. But when we look at this lady's quote, We went to war with ourselves, with our own bodies, with our own sexual natures at the strict commandment of the church. Just taking that at face value, her quote's a misunderstanding. See, God isn't at war with our bodies. The creator of our bodies is telling us the best way to use them. Uh, We aren't at war with our sexual natures. They're good, and God is telling us why he made them. The problem comes when we put ourselves and our bodies as king. Then anything that says no to this body is oppressive, is strict and it's at war with this king and that's the philosophy you're going to hear over and over and over and over in your schools in your movies in your songs they'll say things like this having sex man it's just what young people do it's always been like this it's expected you know you're young you're unmarried everybody experiments you can't put rules on that you know what that is Paul would say that that's philosophy based on human tradition it's what we've always done Young people have always done that. You should live it up. Young people always have. Here's something else you may hear. You know, all people are sexual, and you can't suppress that natural sexuality. You can be with whoever you want to be with as long as everything's consensual. You were born like this, and you can't deny who you are. You know what Paul would say about that? He'd say that's philosophy based on the elemental principles of the earth, not based on Christ the maker and the designer of sex. What I'm saying is don't be taken captive by these philosophies. See, we're not trying to borrow a little bit of the world's pleasure. You know what I mean? Like sex isn't the world's idea and we're just trying to borrow a little bit as long as, as, long as you do it in marriage, everything's okay. I mean, the world is trying to borrow from our pleasure and doing it badly. God created sex and he is good, so he wants each of us to make the most of our sexual desire and his word guides us to the maximum sexual fulfillment. But we gotta know, you gotta put some guards up. We gotta put some fences up to keep from destroying ourselves. This is not oppressive. It's not to prohibit fun, it's to maximize it. Think about this. Nobody says that a fireplace is oppressive to a fire. What am I saying? Nobody says a fireplace is oppressive to a fire. See, a fireplace maximizes the benefits of the fire without allowing it to destroy a whole house. You know what I'm saying? Those borders, those guards, God's guidelines for sexuality actually maximize the benefits of sex without allowing the destruction and pain it can cause. We need to shift our thinking with regards to sexuality. How do we do that? Let's look back at the first verse that I read tonight. I said we're coming back to it, Colossians 2 verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Believers, if you've received Christ, walk in him. More than that, be rooted in him, be built up in him. Man, let me give you the most practical advice I can to combat this flood of just bad sexual messages that you're under every day. You remember, just like my dad and his friends, just flooding that guy with these bad messages that they'd start to feel it. The most practical advice I can give you to combat that flood of bad sexual messages is study the word. Man, read your Bible. Read the word. Walk with Christ. flood your mind with the truth about sexuality with the truth about your identity and your meaning. Those strong roots that you put down on the word will spring up growth that's gonna weather those storms. I'll read this. Imagine if you were free. Think y- You, imagine if you were free from worrying about who thinks you're hot. Imagine if you're free from that. Just worrying about am I attractive? Do they think I'm attractive? Imagine if you were free from worrying about who thinks you're hot because you know where your worth comes from. Imagine if you were free from being fixated on dating the right person because your identity didn't come from dating the right person. Think about living free from the shame of past sin because you understand deeply that Christ took your shame on the cross. He's taken it. He's paid for it. He loves you. He's for you. And you are pure. You are holy. And if you walk in Christ through the word every day is going to renew your mind so that your knee jerk starts to become identity oh that comes from Jesus sexual fulfillment oh that comes from God's plan it's good I'll read this last verse and I'll pray to close this out we're going to talk about practical things on dating and relationships and sex this weekend I'll leave you with this verse first Corinthians six, eighteen through 20 flee from sexual immorality Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Pause. Man, it seems like the opposite of that. seems like the sexual immoral person, like whoever's having sex with whoever they want to, it seems like a freedom to the body, but he's saying every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, who you have from God? Here's what I'd leave you with. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Thanks for listening. We hope this has encouraged you in your walk with Christ. Be sure to give us a rating and review. And for more Snowbird content, check out our other podcast, No Sanity Required.